job leading tonight with our script down set. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we play our third string quarterback. And so our band, we have a piano player and a drums player, uh, a drummer, not a drums player. And then we have backups, and neither of them could make it. Then we have backups to our backups, and they couldn't make it. And so if you're a drummer or a piano player, we sure would love to have you as our backup to our backup to our backup. Um, so you can talk to Quinn about that after the service. Uh, I want to start off, I want to ask you a question. I don't know if anyone here is going to be brave enough, but could you share with me who your childhood hero was? Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. Oh my god, guys. You are destined for each other. This is perfect. Let's stop everything. I don't know how I'm going to get over this, but we have to somehow. You guys remember each other. You need to meet after this. Wow. So who else? Any other childhood heroes out there? If you say it at the same time, you're destined. Sorry, what was that? Who's your childhood hero? Corinne, you're on the spot. Uh, Britney Spears. Britney Spears, <laughs> alright. I did. Sweet. I just can't, I'm barely withholding singing Britney Spears songs right now. Um, anybody else want to share? Mia Hamm. Mia Hamm, good one. Sweet. Anything else? This is your, this is your last chance. The brothers on Sabuku. They were Andrew's heroes so much she can't even remember their real names. <laughs> and someone in the back is remembering their names right now. Oh, the Krat brothers. Yes, good stuff. Well, uh, I want to share with you one of my childhood heroes was Davy Crockett, the king of the wild frontier. Uh, you may remember him. I named my hound dog after him. We have a two year old dog. His name's Crockett. Um, and my other childhood hero uh, was Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. Um, so when I was a kid, I used to videotape the Tour de France on TV and go back and watch these, not just once, but I would, I would like watch them multiple times. I'm pretty sure those tapes, that's right, I was alive when people used tapes. Um, they're still in my parents' attic. And uh, I had a poster of Lance Armstrong on my bedroom wall, and so... Uh, Man, I was a huge fan, but you all know how that story kind of evolved. Here he was, like the American hero cowboy, like taking down all the Frenchmen. You couldn't help but root for him. Um, he was like undefeated, and you always thought like, oh man, there's no way he's gonna win this year. Then he would always like stomp everyone. And he would say, oh, I'm the one person who's clean, and we all believed him, and like, he was our American hero. He would never cheat. Um, but boy, were we wrong. Now, uh, my childhood hero is the man known as the Voldemort of cycling. Uh, I did a quick Google search of news headlines that involved Lance Armstrong, and I want to share some of them with you. Uh, why America won't forgive Lance Armstrong? Is it time to forgive Lance Armstrong? Lance Armstrong, can the lies and bullying be forgiven? <laughs> Here's another one. We've forgiven Alex Rodriguez. Why not Pete Rose and Lance Armstrong? That's a good question. Uh, but the last headline I want to share with you answers that question. Lance Armstrong says he'd cheat again if doping remained pervasive. Uh, <laughs> lesson not learned. <laughs> so, needless to say, I will not be naming my first child or next dog Lance. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and I, I share that story to make a point. We've all heard these high-profile stories of controversial issues where we really have to weigh in the balance um, the topics of justice or forgiveness in our minds. We have to wrestle with those things. We've all heard those stories. Uh, but the reality that we're all faced with is this is an issue that hits home for every single one of us. We've all been faced with times in our lives where we've wrestled with whether or not we should forgive someone or when we should forgive them. We've tried to process what justice should look like. Um, I hope this comes as no surprise to hear me say this. There are many times that I have needed forgiveness, and that's just last week. Uh, <laughs> forgiveness is a topic that hits home to every single one of us. All of us are going to find ourselves in situations where we are desperate for the forgiveness of others, and the people we really care about need us to be able to extend forgiveness to them ourselves. And so uh, the reason I share all this you've probably deduced, we're talking about forgiveness tonight. We're in this series here at Connection called Real Identity. We're talking about what it really means to be people who understand who we are in Jesus Christ. And so we've been in the book of Ephesians, and tonight we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, and then 7 and 8. And we're going to be thinking about what does it mean to be people who are redeemed in Christ? What does it mean to be people who are forgiven in Christ? And how does that change the way that we view ourselves? Uh, the way we relate to God and the way that we treat others. And so what I'm going to do is read our scripture passage for us, um, Ephesians 1, 3, and then 7 and 8, and then I'm going to pray for us as we go into God's word together. So uh, you please listen to the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it proclaims about what you've done and about who we are. And we pray that as we study it tonight, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our ears to hear what you might be saying to us. God, that we would be people who are able to trust Christ in faith and receive the gifts that you've blessed us with, that we'd be able to receive the forgiveness you've given us, that we would know it's true in the depths of our heart. And God, that we would be people who are able to respond to that by being individuals who forgive others freely as you've forgiven us. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the foundation that this series is built on is right there in verse 3. You can check it out. We are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And so the blessing we're going to talk about tonight is forgiveness. And this blessing is one that definitely seems bigger to us in moments where we're well aware of the fact that we really need it, when we're really desperate for it. But there's a reality that's clear in Scripture, and it's one that we've talked about a lot in this series. It's that even on our best days, our very best days, when we're really feeling like we've got it together, we're still people who are deeply in need of God's grace. And in Isaiah 51, the prophet writes to the people of Israel about this. He says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have forgiven, pardon me, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And that's where we're all at. Not one of us has lived a perfect and holy life. We're all separated from God by our sin. And one of the images that Jesus used to describe sin in the Gospels is that of debt. 
Uh, you may remember in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus instructs his disciples how to pray, when he tells them how to pray to God about their sin, what does he tell them? God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So debt, it's an image of sin that Jesus uses commonly. He used it again in Matthew 18, uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant, you may remember. Jesus uses the image of debt in talking about sin and forgiveness in the kingdom of God. And so we all need forgiveness because apart from faith in Christ, our sin against God absolutely separates us from him. It leaves us as people with a debt, people with a debt to be paid. And our relationship with God can only be restored if that debt is repaid. But the good news that our passage tonight talks about, and the good news that our entire faith is built on, is that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We could have never repaid our debt to God ourselves, but God came with us with rescue from the outside in Jesus Christ. And so look there, Paul says it in Ephesians 1, Verse 7, right there in our passage, that we have redemption through the blood of Christ. We have redemption. That's one of those words that uh, you might hear in church, but we don't often explain what exactly that means. And so we have to do that for this passage to really mean what it does to us. Uh, and it's such a rich blessing that Paul describes here. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and these are people from a Greco-Roman background, and they would have been familiar with the practice of redemption. Redemption was the releasing of a slave from bondage as a result of someone paying a ransom for their freedom. And so what Paul is writing here is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has freed anyone who trusts him in faith by paying the price for their release from slavery to sin. That's what redemption is. Jesus Christ, the great Redeemer. You've heard of churches called Redeemer. Uh, I went to a church called Redeemer. What a beautiful name for a church. Jesus Christ redeems a church for himself. He rescues us from sin. He's paid our debt. And Romans 6.23 tells us the wages for sin is death. And in God's justice, he required our debt to be paid. But in God's mercy, because of his great love for us, he took the penalty for our sin off of our shoulders and placed it on the shoulders of his own sinless son. Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life to pay the price for our sin, his sacrifice for our redemption. And our debt was paid in full when Jesus died on the cross. Paul lays out the gospel for us, this good news in the language of economics. If you're a math person, uh, maybe you'll like this. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Jesus Christ was rich, but for our sakes he became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. And so what a blessing this is. He's saying Jesus takes on our spiritual bankruptcy. We've got nothing to offer. He takes on our bankruptcy and gives us immeasurable spiritual wealth. We're given the keys to the kingdom in Jesus Christ. We're made the children of God, given a rich inheritance in what he's done. And so we see next in this passage that on top of our redemption, we're also blessed with forgiveness. It's another blessing that God has given us in Christ. And what forgiveness is all about is that God is no longer going to seek repayment from us for our sins. And the most common Greek word used in the New Testament for forgive literally means to hurl away or to let go. So what Paul is saying is that if you've trusted Jesus Christ in faith, your sins are completely out of the picture. 
They're gone. The writer of Psalm 103 writes that our sins are as far from us as the heavens are from the earth, or the east is from the west. And so these are geographical images that convey to us in the way our human minds understand the earth the most possible farthest apart distance imaginable according to earthly measures. That, that's how far God has separated us from our sin. In Isaiah 44, chapter uh, 44, verse 22, the prophet writes, God has swept away our offenses like a cloud floats off in the sky in a way. Uh, he writes that our sins have vanished like a morning mist. We get a lot of those mornings in Indiana. They, man, they vanish like the morning mist. And guys, this is powerful truth. That's who we really are in Jesus Christ. From the very moment you first trust Christ in faith, your sin no longer has anything to do with you. That's not who you are. You're free from it. You're redeemed. You're free from it. And you'll never have to pay the price from it. You'll never have to pay for it. You're forgiven. That's what forgiveness is. And this is huge stuff. I know that God's forgiveness, it can sound too good to be true, can it? I mean, that's why we preach about grace almost every single week, because we default back to moralism. Oh, God, it's what I do to earn your favor that makes me who I am. Help me to be a better person so I don't have to feel so terrible about myself. That's not the good news. The good news is that we are made whole. We are made new in Jesus Christ. And it's in response to the grace we've been given that we strive to live holy lives. We're not striving to win. In Jesus, we've already won. That's what the gospel is all about. And so, guys, God's grace, this is scandalous stuff. This is scandalous to our world. Um, God pardons the people who are guilty who simply admit their need. Uh, that seems too good to be true. People think, man, shouldn't, we, shouldn't people get what they deserve? God's grace is scandalous. I want to share with you a story. You've probably uh, heard of the musical Les Miserables, and it's based on an 1800s novel by the French author Victor Hugo. And he tells the story of a French prisoner named Jean Valjean, and I want to read to you a really powerful part of that story here. Uh, so listen to the story of Jean Valjean here. Sentenced to a 19-year term of hard labor for the crime of stealing bread, Jean Valjean gradually hardened into a tough convict. No one could beat him in a fistfight. No one could break his will. At last, Valjean earned his release. Convicts in those days had to carry identity cards, however, and no innkeeper would let a dangerous felon spend the night. For four days, he wandered the village roads, seeking shelter against the weather, until finally a kind bishop had mercy on him. That night, Jean Valjean lay still in an uncomfortable bed until the bishop and his sister drifted off to sleep. He rose from his bed, rummaged through the cupboard for the family silver, and crept off into the darkness. The next morning, three policemen knocked on the bishop's door with Valjean in tow. They had caught the convict in flight with the purloined silver and were ready to put the scoundrel in chains for life. The bishop responded in a way that no one, especially Jean Valjean, had expected. So here you are, he cried to Valjean. I'm delighted to see you. Have you forgotten that I gave you the candlesticks as well? They're silver, just like the rest, and worth a good 200 francs. Did you forget to take them? Jean Valjean's eyes had widened. He was now staring at the old man with an expression no words could convey. Valjean was no thief, the bishop assured the police. This silver was my gift to him. 
When the police withdrew, the bishop gave the candlesticks to his guest, who was now speechless and trembling. Do not forget, do not ever forget, said the bishop, that you have promised me to use the money to make yourself an honest man. And so, what a powerful story this is. Uh, what a picture of God's grace. God's grace is unmerited kindness. And the deepest expression of grace known to man is the unmerited kindness that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And like the end of our passage talks about, God didn't just give us the minimum amount of grace we needed to be saved. Look at it there on the screen. He's lavished grace on us. He's covered us with it richly. What he's writing is that God pours grace out over our lives like a cooler of Gatorade over a coach's head when his team's just won the Super Bowl. But here's the kicker. This team was down by 50 points at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Like, this is impossible. There's no way they should win. This doesn't make any sense. It's not possible. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's the words of Jesus Christ. And so, as we think together about who we are in Christ, I want you to know that this passage could not be more clear that Christians don't hope for redemption and forgiveness. We already have them. You're redeemed, and you're forgiven in full. And so, that is, your, that is who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're redeemed in full. You're forgiven in full. That is good news. That's a weight off of all of our shoulders. But if you're here and you've never trusted Christ in faith, I want you to know that no matter what is in your past, God's love for you is bigger than your past. And he desires a relationship with you, and he has made a way for you. Trust Jesus Christ in faith. Trust him. He wants to set you free from the weight of sin on your heart, on your life. When you do that, fear and shame will no longer be a part of your story. It has nothing to do with you. I want to share with you another story I heard a pastor, Matt Chandler, share uh, that illustrates this truth in a really powerful way. Matt Chandler, he writes, During my freshman year of college, I sat next to a 26-year-old single mother in class who was trying to get her degree. We began a dialogue about the grace and mercy of Christ in the cross. Some other guys and I would go over and babysit her child and try and talk with her. A friend of mine was in a band playing in the area, and we invited her to hear him. She agreed. She thought it would be a concert, but I knew better. It was shady, and she agreed to come. Uh, small aside, his friend's band was a Christian band, and he knew that there was going to be a speaker at this concert. And so the minister got up and said, Tonight, I want to talk to you about sex. And I immediately thought, uh-oh. He took a red rose, smelled it, and he showed how pretty it was. And then he threw it out to the crowd and told them all to smell the rose. I want you to smell it and touch it. I want you to feel the texture in it. And there were about a thousand people there. And then he began one of the worst, most horrific handlings of what sex is and isn't that I have ever sat through. It was fear-mongering at best. And I'm thinking, with her sitting there right there beside me, what are you doing? As he wrapped up, he asked, where's my rose? And some kid brought the rose back up to the stage, and it was broken. The petals were broken. And as he lifts it up, his big crescendo is to lift up that broken rose and say, now who would want this? Anger welled up within me. And I wanted to stand up and yell at the top of my lungs, 
Jesus wants the rose. That's the point of the gospel, that Jesus wants the rose, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. While we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And that's true for each and every one of us, no matter what's in your past, no matter what weighs on your heart, no matter what you're going through right now, it was never more than God could handle on the cross. Jesus loves you. He offers you a new life and a new identity. Will you trust him in faith? My goal was to not cry when I told that story. Uh, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Your past has nothing to do with you anymore, so don't waste your time and energy thinking about it. God has thrown your sins away from you. I heard our pastor, Bob, share a quote at our men's ministry two weeks ago that uh, was really impactful on me in thinking about this. It's from the author Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson writes this, Our sins aren't interesting. God's work, that's what's interesting. After recognized and confessed, the less said about them, the better. I love that. Our sins aren't interesting. So confess them and move on. God's work is what's interesting. Let's talk about that. Your past sins don't define you. And more than that, the sins that you'll inevitably commit in the future, they won't change your status with God either. And so the passage we're talking about here tonight, this is about redemption and forgiveness. And so I don't want to go down too many rabbit trails, but I would absolutely be holding out on you guys if I didn't talk to you about the blessing of justification too. Justification is something that the Apostle Paul talks about a lot in the book of Romans, especially in Romans chapter 3. Justification is a term that is denoting legal standing. And so what Paul teaches in Romans is that God justifies those who trust Christ in faith freely by his grace. Legally, God has proclaimed you blameless before him from the moment you first trusted Christ in faith onwards. He will never hold your sins against you. Romans chapter 4, verse 5, To the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And so, hear this truth. From the moment you first trust Christ, for the rest of your days, when God looks at you, he sees the perfect record of Jesus Christ. No matter how bad you mess up, God's love for you will never change. It is a done deal. It is sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And there will be a day when you come before God and you'll see him face to face. You will stand before the throne of God. That is absolutely true. And you know what he's going to say to you? He's going to say to you, not guilty. Because your record is going to read with the words, it is finished. The work of Jesus Christ defines who you are. God is going to welcome you home on that day as his own child, whom he deeply loves. That's how complete our salvation is. So in Jesus, we're set free from sin to enjoy a relationship with God. And we're empowered by the Spirit of God inside of us to live in such a way that reflects that new life. And I want to tell you, you are going to struggle. You're going to struggle with this, but bring your sin before God. We can confess our sin to Him with honesty and ask for His strength to turn from it and to turn towards Him. And so this, this good news is for us as individuals, but it has a huge impact on our relationships, guys. The Apostle Paul writes about this later in the book of Ephesians. He writes to the church, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so this is one of those blessings that we can't keep to ourselves. We're given forgiveness that we might freely give it to others. 
And I know that's simple to understand, but we all find ourselves in situations where it is really hard to live out. This is really hard to live out, but this is what God calls us to. We know that for us, if we confess our sins to God, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. That's 1 John 9, verse 5. And that's the standard we're called to on our relationships. We're given grace and we're gifted with the power of the Spirit to allow us to live into this calling God has given us. We don't do it on our own. We do it out of thankfulness for the grace we've received and we do it by the power of God working within us. And so how many times can we forgive a person who wrongs us? Peter, the apostle, asks, asks Jesus that question himself in Matthew chapter 18. He says, should I forgive my neighbor up to seven times? And Jesus responds to him, you may remember, he says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Uh, so for you quick math majors out there, he wasn't literally talking about forgiving someone 490 times. He was speaking hyperbolically to convey the idea that his followers are the people who have a disposition of forgiveness. Our default heart posture should be one of grace. We don't keep track of numbers. We're quick to forgive. We forgive people who've harmed us and admit they're wrong. We seek restoration of relationships. We do that freely because we know that we've received forgiveness freely in Christ. And so we pray for those who harm us. We seek restoration whenever possible, no matter how difficult. And guys, God is, God is able to bring restoration, even the most broken relationships. He's able to do that. Pray for the people who've harmed you. Um, pray for the people who've wronged you and the, those relationships that you need to trust to God to restore. And so, uh, man, what a blessing it is to be able to share this with you. And I see that, um, man, I guess I didn't have this passage up there the whole time. I thought I did. I thought you all were tracking with me, but boy, was I wrong. I hope you have great memories and you remember it from when I read it. Uh, redemption, forgiveness, justification. What amazing blessings we have received by the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Uh, band, why don't you all come back? I want to close us in prayer. As we thank God together for what he's done and who he's made us to be in Jesus, and then we're going to sing a song to just reflect on the fact that in Christ our sins are paid for in full. Uh, would you pray with me now? God, we thank you for your word. Um, you have redeemed us in the blood of Jesus Christ, and what good news that is to our ears. We're broken people apart from you. Our own efforts to uh, live me meaningful lives on our own, uh, to earn our way to your favor, to feel good about ourselves and our standing in the world. Uh, when that's all about us, God, we are absolutely lost. But um, in your word, we find truth about who we are. Uh, we're people who need you. God, the world makes sense when we see you at the center of it and not ourselves. And God, we thank you that you are a God who is merciful, that you have made a way for us in Jesus Christ, that you reach out to us with love bigger than we ever deserve, bigger than we can even wrap our minds around. God, help us never to assume the gospel. Help us never to um, allow our hearts to become familiar with this truth that's absolutely groundbreaking when we think about it. Uh, God, this is totally different from the way the world works. You've given us unmeasurable, unmerited kindness in yourself. And so we pray that we would respond to that by people of thankful, by being people of thankfulness and also people who uh, extend grace to those in our lives. And so I pray that if there's anyone here tonight uh, who wants to receive the grace of Christ for the first time, that you would put it 
on their heart to do that, to have a conversation um, with someone here at the church about it. And God, also, if there's someone here who has a relationship in mind that needs to have your grace poured out over it, I pray that you would bring restoration in that um, because your spirit is power and you are able. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.